Kia ora and welcome to the You've Got This podcast with Zazie and Tess. Tess and I are speech and language therapists with a combined 18 years working in the field with children and their whanau, so we know a thing or two about what makes them tick. We want to empower you to know exactly what you can do to support your child's development. We're going to be touching on all of the important topics that you want to hear about, from speech and language development to managing tricky behaviours or supporting your little one to transition to school. You can even request episodes that you want to hear more on. Just head to our Instagram at You've Got This Podcast. We'd absolutely love your support over on Patreon. Head to You've Got This, where we'll be offering extra episodes and unique resources that we've created to support you on your journey. We like to have a bit of a laugh and keep it real, so thanks for listening. We're over the moon to have you along for the ride. My kids are super dysregulated today. They spent the last three nights at Nana's because we were in Hanma for three, two nights. Two nights. It was bloody glorious. It was so amazing. Such a reset. I saw on your Instagram that you were laying around in pool for hours on end, which sounds like literally glorious. Are they thermal pools? What are they? What are they like? In Hanma? Yeah. Yeah, they're all like... Springs. Don't don't have me doing the geology of it all, but yeah, like proper natural whatevers. But it's grown like I haven't been in five years. I went for my baby moon for August, and it's since gotten so much bigger. And there's like loads of water slides, and one of them's like the highest what? in the New Zealand. <laughs> so I fell on. We went down all these water slides. What was interesting was we went on the water slides and we'd like queued for this like double ride and just as we were about to go up the thing one of the rules was that combined weight couldn't be over 150 kgs or something and john and i definitely <laughs> overdo that significantly but we were like fuck it we're just gonna go on them all anyway and we did no one stopped us but there's one of them like comes down a steep slide and then up into just like imagine a very wide <laughs> bit and everyone else is coming down and up this wide bit and then you go backwards and you know they were getting to like halfway and john and i came down and we're like nearly touched the top and i was like we're gonna die we're Flying. gonna fly off the end of oh this my god decapitate yeah, yourself like wild. <gasps> and i like screamed and i john like grabbed hold of me and like when we talked about it later i was like you were worried he's like yeah i thought we were <laughs> Like, <laughs> I thought this was it. Was it was crazy, but it was so, it was like loads oh, of fun. No. My memory of water slides was like Waiwera hot pools. Have you ever been to Waiwera? It's like up north. No, but I know you talking about you yeah we used to go quite a lot as a family and my memory is like going down the ones that were like enclosed tubes and just straight up not being able to breathe just being like slapped in the face with all of this water and like <laughs> your underwear being like wedged up yes. water yes. in every orifice free colon mm. cleanse like <laughs> i literally water i didn't know i needed this as a c- coming out like so <laughs> disheveled like what just happened to me it was so not enjoyable yeah i like, felt like that coming out wearing a one piece and i was seeing like women in very skimpy bikinis i was like how are you in one piece like imagine like, that was a all poor bride just trying to like free her chest your bikini top of yeah i was like this isn't for me this isn't fun <laughs> i bloody love it i did feel my age though like with age you definitely become more risk averse and more like i might die whereas i would be like throwing myself down these things i was like sitting up but racing like friction friction we'll do a slow version thank you very much Hello and welcome to the You've Got This podcast. Let's not pretend we haven't just spent 40 minutes sorting out the tech again. We were meant to start at 8.30am and it is now 9.11, but... <laughs> <laughs> saying a lot about how this is going to go. Oh dear. So last week we talked about children being dysregulated and children hitting out at us, biting, etc. Not to be specific, but being bitten on your face. <laughs> 
So if you didn't listen, go ahead and listen to that one now. And if you've got any questions, do ask them on our socials and we can get back to you and respond with specific advice or we can make other more focused podcasts in the future. But today we're going to talk about picky eating. Now I say picky eating and we've labelled this picky eating because that's what the general public tend to call it and what it's often referred to. But what we prefer to say is selective eating. Yes, and I think when you say picky eating, we all know someone who's a picky eater, whether they're a child or an adult, and there's a lot of negative connotation that comes around sort of that phrase sometimes, picky eating. Myself, I was a really picky eater as a child, so I'm going to be able to speak from my experiences of, uh, as a child, but also Obviously, a lot of the children and learners at our school are really selective eaters. They've got very, very small range of foods that they can eat. So I'm drawing from that experience. I wasn't really allowed to be a picky eater as a child. That doesn't sound great. But there was often a lot of pressure placed on me to try foods and enjoy new foods. And I definitely felt the pressure and I definitely felt the emotions of the adults around me if I wasn't enjoying something. And it has actually taken a lot of relearning as an adult that John once literally said to me, you don't have to like all the foods, you know, the the foods don't realise that you don't like them. And honestly, I was like, what, like 25 when he said that to me? And that was such an eye opener because I think I'd been led to believe that, you know, enjoying and having all the foods made you some sort of better person. He's like, no, I don't like coffee and like I don't care. That poor little Brussels sprout is sad. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't have to like the coffee. So, so yeah, that's kind of the position I come from. But obviously now I'm a parent of two and my children go through phases of some days they like something, some days they absolutely don't. And sometimes they just come to the table and say yuck before they've even, you know, really <laughs> witnessed what's on the plate, you know? <laughs> Offensive, but we keep calm. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I know there'll be a lot of parents in this boat and that it's a huge spectrum, isn't it? From saying it's a bit yuck and only having a few foods they don't like, but mostly eating everything to the some parents I know out there who'll be really struggling. Their child liking one or two things and not eating anything else. And the worry that places on you about, you know, nutrition and malnutrition and the, am I doing enough? Am I doing it well enough? And I think we need to start with just saying you really are, you know, this isn't your fault. I'm sure, I mean, I'm obviously not a parent, but the pressure that other family members if you're serving like an individual meal for your child or your children and people's judgment and their advice that they're going to be giving you I can only imagine the anxieties that a parent would experience around that as well yeah the pressures are huge from other people it's you can't underestimate that you put enough pressure on yourself looking at other children and seeing on social media what everyone else's kid is doing but the pressure from family and those who know you and everyone's opinions of what they think what they experience is absolutely wild but this topic really came to me the other day when I was listening to I listened to that podcast Off Menu, that British comedy podcast uh, where celebrities come on and they talk about their favourite foods. And it struck me how many celebrities said that when they were little, they barely ate any foods. They like things really bland or they didn't eat much yeah. at all. And the one that stood out to me was Louis Theroux, you know, yeah. the journalist, the guy who makes all the documentaries. He, um, you know, he comes from a really well-off background and he had a brother who ate everything and he does lots of impressions of his brother being really posh and, you know, <laughs> past the salmon mummy and eating literally everything. And he said, I didn't eat anything my poor parents you know give me lots of options and give me loads of experiences and I just wanted to eat white bread and like that was me beans we used to go to valentine's the restaurant Mm. I don't know if it still exists in New Zealand but it's like a big buffet you know my family would go every year for my brother's birthdays because they were big eaters they'd eat everything and it would just 
riddle me with anxiety and the only thing I would eat would be the white bread rolls with butter. It's the only thing I could eat. I would maybe have some hot chips, but I'd be really looking forward to it. And I remember every time my dad just being like, well, maybe you could try something different. And I'd just be like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want to come. I'm going to sit in the car if you're going to be telling me I have to come in and try something new. And like Louis Theroux, you eat loads of food now. You eat more stuff now. Yeah. 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 A solid starting message is that that this is just now Mm. this progress that can be made. And you obviously didn't have any focused intervention on your extremely picky eating. No. And how selective you were. No, I Um, didn't. And this is where you've wound up. Yeah. To be honest, I'm grateful for an ex-boyfriend who was very patient with me. He ate everything. Every time we went to a restaurant, I would order a safe food that I know I would eat. And I would order something for him that I thought I might like. And then I could try a piece of his, but whilst knowing that I had a full meal available to me. And that's how I slowly actually brought into my diet, which actually leans a lot to the advice and guidance we would give for families, for children. But I didn't even realize that that's what I was doing. Yeah. And if we take a pause there and just think about why some children are picky eaters. For some kids, this is a a sensory thing. This is feeling, as we talked about in the teeth brushing episode, if you haven't heard already, this isn't just that a child is being difficult for you it's that these textures might feel awful in their bodies to the point where they can feel pain physical pain yeah and they would rather starve than have that feeling in their body for me raisins as a child my friend's mum used to make us eat raisins and they used to literally make me sick like the soft texture of them would make me feel so 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 ill like there's lots of senses at play obviously there's smell there's texture there's taste and also how it feels in your tummy so interception as well so they're all at play some are going to be really over responsive some are whereas others are going to be under responsive and not really register that it's in your mouth so some of our children they love really sweet or really salty or really spicy food and that's usually because they're a bit under responsive to what's going on you've also got children and learners who stuff their mouth over eat instead of under eating yeah mm-hmm. and that could be a sensory it's a bit of sensory feedback thing having that much food in your mouth and you know then being able to register oh the food is there before processing it yeah i've definitely spoken to a lot of parents who've struggled with that with their child wanting to put absolutely everything in their mouth before processing it and it's a choking hazard and, and we panic as parents that's huge yeah um so yeah and that was interesting you just listing the senses there so what it what it is to look at this food what it is to taste it what it is to feel the feeling of it crunching in your teeth what it smells mm-hmm. like that's a lot what it feels like in your hands you know children or learners who like overstuff their mouth sometimes it leans into something called pika which is where you're putting non-food items in your mouth but also it's a very typical developmental step so exploring through all of your senses is the first stage of play development it's called sensory motor play and so it's very normal for children to want to put things in their mouths to explore what they feel like what they taste like Mm. but obviously you need to be doing that under supervision but we don't want to really fully discourage it so long as it's done safely so obviously not small marbles but if it's something large to gnaw on to sort of understand the properties of that item is important so what general strategies do your team use for for most learners these are the same strategies for whether you're neurodivergent or whether you're neurotypical or somewhere along that spectrum as we know a lot of people do sit somewhere along there it's about having access to your preferred foods at meal times and then having access to snacks that are new outside of the meal times when you're not hungry. So last week we spoke about regulation and how if you're feeling hungry, you're not really able to manage your battery levels and your emotional responses. And that's the same for around meal times. So if you're 
sitting down at mealtime, your battery's empty, you're really hungry and you're given something that's new or unfamiliar on your plate, it is going to be really upsetting and dysregulating for you. It's very scary. So we'd always give them their preferred foods, but then offer snacks after that would be uh, something slightly different or something new, or maybe it's a carrot stick that's not cut up in the same way. That definitely happened for me tonight, is that my son, in the midst of swimming, didn't really eat much in the day. He's already dysregulated after a few nights at Nana and Granda's, so you know he's just getting back to the new routine of being with us. And we were cooking dinner, and he was hungry, and he was already losing it. And I could see it, and I was like, "Right, dinner's already on the way." And we got it on the table, but he was already lost. You know, he was already. Uh, this is too much for me to even come to the table. This is too much for me to participate. I don't want to be seen. I want to be hidden under a blanket. I want to be somewhere. So we we just almost missed the window. Like he mm. needed some snacks. He needed a handful of the cheese rig grating. He needed. He needed some thing before we even got to the meal so um. yeah it's almost like too far gone sometimes isn't it and again we are the same if i'm hungry and i'm on uber eats and there's too many decisions and i can't make a decision and i've gone too far over sometimes i'm just like nah i don't want anything i'm not even hungry anymore and i'm blatantly starving i'm so hangry but like i'm not able to even think about ordering my own foods i'm overwhelmed so our children feel like that but like tenfold because they're developing brains and i've got no excuse i'm 30 years old (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> How about you? So what are some of the strategies that you sort of have been providing to families or what is your experience around managing some picky eating? As a go-to, as a sort of baseline strategy that I always go back to is I think it's very easy for parents to find the things that their child likes and continue to serve just the thing that their child likes because children need snacks 12 million times a day. And you, you honestly get to a point where you feel like you're constantly just making some more food for them and making some more food for them. And that can be hard for parents for a whole host of reasons, whether it be you're neurodiverse yourself or you're juggling a newborn. So we can get into habits of feeding our children the same thing so that there's no drama, there's no meltdown and everyone's eating everything. But then when we do that, our children aren't getting exposed to new stuff there and aren't getting to yeah. see things cut differently in different textures, new foods. And children can need not just one or two exposures they can need tens and tens of exposures in order to try something new and then in order to enjoy something new so the first thing I always remember and I try to model for for parents and talk about is that we're always trying new things so I do exactly the same as you talked about there at the restaurant way I provide a safe food on the plate uh, so it might be if if it's a new food I'm always providing bread and butter or yeah there's always some fruit on the side or something that I know that they will eat but that I don't I don't stop serving new things in front of them. For my situation, whatever we cook is what I serve the children, whatever we're eating, and we're all sitting down at the table together so that they both get a really good model of how to interact with the foods when they're seeing John and I eating the same foods. And that is such an important thing to remember. And even just my youngest watching my oldest eat, sometimes she'll only eat things that he's got in his hands. So That's very much the European way, actually. I was in Estonia over the Christmas period and we made that observation that on the children's menu was small portions of what was on the main menu rather than having like fish fingers they had fish which was flounder and 
potatoes. So like that was exactly what you could get as a main, but just in a smaller version. And I think that's really important that yes. our children do need to see us eat it, whatever you're eating as an adult, rather than going down the, the route of like really consistent and beige foods, chicken nuggets mm. all of the time, because they're never going to be able to manage the variance of one tomato and another tomato when they're slightly softer or slightly different because they've learned that every chicken nugget is the same. Mm. And that was probably my experience as a child. I just had the same safe foods all the time. Sometimes had variants of different things, but in retrospect, like I have spoken a bit about the fact that I think I am neurodivergent and that leans into my picky eating habits. I wouldn't let foods touch on the plate. I wouldn't really have sauces on my plate. It was really stressful time. I remember even as like a tween and a teen going to friends' parents' houses and being really anxious about having dinner at their house because I didn't want to offend the parents. So it's just, it's one of those things that you you do want to access support when you can, if it is available to you when your children are younger so that it's releasing your stress around mealtimes and, and reducing your, your child's stress around mealtimes as well. It's interesting what you said about the foods not touching, so the, the plate that I ended up designing specifically we didn't put sections in it because a lot of plates on the market now are almost in that bento style and everything's got a section to it and for me not only I was frustrated with that and that's how I ended up in this whole game and and designing products I was frustrated that you know a child couldn't really accurately use a knife and fork with all those bits of sections in the middle of them but then also it was taken away the opportunity for foods to be touching or close so obviously on your typical adult plate you can have food separate you know nothing does have to touch but there's the option there for them to touch and I was frustrated with separations of um separations creating that what I'm also constantly trying to tell myself and I talk to other parents about is that you have to take the pressure off yourself that you're that you're failing or that you're doing it wrong you're doing the best that you can but we also need to take the pressure off our children and there's a number of ways that we can do that for me it's really important that there's no pressure for children to eat and I don't bribe them to do so so I don't say you know you can have a chocolate biscuit after you eat those carrots or we can have ice cream after this because even in just saying that you know you can have ice cream after you've eaten your carrots the message there is these carrots must be so bad that you have to bribe me to eat them like they must be so horrible yeah so already you don't want to eat that it's like saying this smells horrible do you want to smell some you like people do that Mm. this smells disgusting these orange sticks of hell will give you night vision yeah Yeah. and you're just like why would i and it also puts you know the chocolate cake the ice cream on a pedestal it's like that is that is the magic food and you know pitting foods against each other is just not where we want to go with that we want this neutral opinion that you know all foods are nutritious to us whether that be the ice cream or that be the broccoli you know it's all giving us Mm -hmm. nutrients so you know in a similar way I stay away from the word this is healthy food we do a lot of work on understanding healthy and unhealthy food at school and around making healthier choices we do a lot of like sorting healthy and unhealthy food groups and stuff to help our children for preparing to adulthood for making sort of better choices like independent choices because obviously we want them to have a range of nutrients and we don't want them to end up not able to independently use the skills that we have developed in their childhood so it's quite interesting I wonder like what the I think the argument for that in the other way is that of course when children are older having being able to choose and know what you know that pizza versus oranges it's a different nutritional profile there 
But we need our children to believe that what the parents are serving them is nutritional and to take that the, mm. to take the cognitive load away from them that when they, they have something that they've got to decide is this healthy or not take the, take the judgment out of it because they don't have any control over what they're eating adults are handing it to them so I, I liked for mm. wherever possible from you know preschoolers and our little kids I think them being lectured on what is healthy and is not healthy is, is really unhelpful because it's not their choice it's not their choice and it's, and it's putting a moral value on food and for some of our kids mm. living closer to the poverty line what they are served will look different to our children who are not that close and we know the cost, especially in New Zealand, of all you know the, of the fruit and veg aisle is wild, absolutely wild. You're like remortgaging your house to buy two grapes. Honestly, the difference here is is insane. Like in New Zealand, it is cheaper to buy fast food than it is to buy your groceries. It's wild here, and and imagine mm. you being that child, you know. So you've just had this lecture on healthy and unhealthy. You open your lunchbox. This is what my mum and dad can afford. This is what my caregiver can afford. Mm. It looks different to your one, full of wonderfully cut up grapes and strawberries mm. um and it, it and it gives morality to like what they're eating and it, you get again they feel negative about your food and we know that the biggest cause of obesity and and eating disorders is that it's just that it's that judgment it's that how you feel inside about what you're eating so yeah i mean we could go down that path forever but i do try and stay mm. away from saying healthy and unhealthy i also try and make it so there's no bribing for example saying you just have to take one bite or you can take one bite and then if you don't like you don't have to keep eating it mm-hmm. because it's kind of like saying regardless of how you feel I'm not letting you say no you know I don't care yeah. what, what you feel like you're not allowed to say no you just have to take one bite we need our children to be able to say no with things they're uncomfortable with we need them to be able to consent and say what does happen to their body they should never feel like anyone can tell them they need to consume something and they just have to go along with it so I would just be modeling that they can say no thank you if they don't want to eat something yeah yeah and we need to be understanding why what is it about this food that they don't like is it the texture is it the smell is it the shape is it just not the right time because they're already too hungry again stress detectives we've spoken about it previously but food if, mm-hmm. if it's stressful try to understand why what is the reason for it and another another thing that I think we're all guilty of in a in a whole number of areas it, it can slip off the tongue so easily but not letting it show to our children that the emotional impact that it has on us and even more so trying not to say it so like it would make me happy if you tried this or yeah. I've spent ages cooking this you just have to give it a try or you know it's, it's, it's like emotional blackmail they shouldn't have to eat something to make us happy or develop no. good eating to make us happy we're talking about helping them so it's way better to talk about the positives of food like you know broccoli has lots of this vitamin which is good for your vision you know helps you grow so we're talking Mm. positively about the food rather than us talking about how it makes us feel when they eat it shouldn't be about us at all so can you put into context like how would you talk to your two ones your two ones (laughs) my two ones your two ones about if you're putting food on the plate that they are not so keen on what would the conversation usually look like i just sort of serve it i just put it on the plate i just put a little bit of it when there's no pressure and i just say here it is here it is there's no pressure to eat it there's not enough there's no aggression to even come to the table which i know winds some people up chronically but you know they are in control of their own bodies this is when dinner time is typically they're hungry this is what we've got to eat there's something visual that they know that they like and i'll point that out and i'll often have them participate in the making of the food wherever possible so whether they're you know helping put the pasta in the bowl or spreading butter on bread or even doing something in the kitchen that isn't related to the meal means they're closer to the food and they're smelling it and they're seeing what i'm doing so sometimes i'll have my kids put dry pasta into a bowl even if we're not eating pasta you know like they're just present 
in the kitchen. Um, yeah, you have done this for years, though. Yeah. Even like you used to use it to sort of self-occupy and keep an eye on them. You had John uh, build the what would you even call that? The learning tower, and just you know, I let them crack eggs, and if it doesn't mean that, mm. if there's eggs all over the floor, they chop up veg. They use our knives to chop up fruit and veg, and just I just try to involve them as much as possible because that's exposure, and that is playing with food. Whether yeah, people like to call it that or not, you've got it on your hands. You're smelling it. You're saying it. You're you're tempted to eat it, and they're absolutely welcome to eat it and put it in their mouths you know again there's just no pressure at the table and john and i try and speak generally positive about the food and be like oh this bit's delicious have you tried this just to each mm-hmm. other that our children might be hearing but not we don't go overboard because kids are smart they're so smart like, mm, these carrots wow they're cooked so well because they just <laughs> they just know man they don't they know but it works so much for me and when i work for other parents but sometimes my kids just kind of get to the point where they're like finished and sometimes they just need to be reminded i'll just say oh have you tried your carrots you know i've just eaten all of mine and you know or do you want to cheers real cheers with carrots or I might explain a little bit about them. you see that dark bit there that's because they've been in the oven and that's why they've changed a little bit different color but actually that's my favorite bit so if you don't like that bit i can nibble that bit off for you sort of thing so nice there's no pressure to eat it, but there's definitely chat about it. Hey, Conversation about chat. it. I've been at your place during meal times before and I really liked that when Augie got up, you're like, I think you're finished. Your body's telling me that you're finished. I'll put the food away now. And then he kind of kind of maybe like, no, and come back and sit at a table a bit more. But it's not sit back at the table until you're finished. It's, oh, your body language is telling me that I think you might be finished. Are we ready to put it in the sink or shall we put it in the dishwasher? And you're just attributing meaning to what his his body's showing you and giving him a choice as to whether he actually has finished or not. Yeah, because we don't have to finish our plates. We don't have to like we don't have to like all the foods. We don't have to eat all the foods. That it doesn't have to be finished, and we certainly don't have to stay at the table for forever in a like day who like has made these rules I know, they need to be held accountable <laughs> there's definitely like a, a bit of a thing with my family at the minute they want my kids to sit at the table till everyone's finished and they want my parents want my kids to ask permission to leave the table and there's only so much argument that I can have and I've just got to kind of grin and bear it at the minute and my kids are for the most part going with those rules but it does it does actually do my head and no one else has to ask permission to leave the table and, and my kids have child brains and they that's why is the people the who can manage it least asked to do the most yeah I no, I'm at the end of arguing about it. Sometimes you just gotta. My kids are coping. No one's upset, and I'm just like, yeah. well, I'll just let it roll. But it is really hard. There are some crazy rules we've put around meal times and crazy mm-hmm. expectations we're putting around children's ability. You know, we're like, oh, they only stayed at that Lego for three minutes. Fair enough. But we're like, well, you must spend fifteen minutes at the dinner table while mm-hmm. everyone eats. You know. Mm-hmm overhearing adult chatter and not even being able to contribute to a conversation so you have to self-occupy but you're not allowed to play with your food but you have to sit here for 30 minutes <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so yeah we, it's about removing the pressure on yourself and on your child hey but also there is extreme picky eating when you do need help you do need to access support Absolutely. there's also something called ARFID I don't know if it's really commonly spoken about in New Zealand a, a few of our learners I'm have it so ARFID stands for avoidant reactive food intake disorder where someone avoids foods and one of our families in particular really battled for ages with trying to get food in this young boy and she felt like a failure as a parent because she couldn't get him to eat he was underweight he wasn't growing he was she was going to all of the feeding clinics she was following exactly what they were saying her anxiety was high his anxiety was high he ended up needing a peg which is where you've got a tube that goes straight to your stomach and he drinks mm-hmm. milk formula drinks throughout the day but has a peg as his main way of feeding because you can't thrive without nutrients and 
and mm-hmm. there comes to a point where you know you need to say enough is enough it's too much anxiety for the family and this not and this child's not growing and so you do need mm-hmm. to look at alternative options so for families who are listening who have got picky eaters at that extreme like there is support for you do ask for help speech and language therapists are usually your first port of call for assessing the food groups that they're eating their eating habits and then you can go on to accessing nutritionists dietitians what other supports are there in New Zealand there's actually a couple of books that developed within New Zealand and of course the power of Instagram there are a lot of Instagrams within New Zealand and externally often America who and you know their content is specifically for those children who are extremely selective eaters and how to move your child from eating say chicken nuggets to chicken or when in doubt just whisper into your microphone my child's a picky eater a few times and you'll be target marketed (laughs) with everything you need so I think that probably wraps us up. We've been speaking for a wee while now. We want to keep these podcasts as short and sweet <laughs> and as this possible. Is in no way short or this sweet. Is not, hopefully you've got no. something out of it. And we will, as usual, follow it up with a bit of a, a one page of some strategies and the things that we've talked about. If we wanted to quickly review the key sort of points that we wanted to that we discussed today. I don't know if you guys know this, but we don't actually plan our podcasts. We just go with the flow and see what comes um, forward for us. But if we were thinking about the things we discussed today is that help is available for you. Speak to your GP, speak to a speech and language therapist, speak to your parent friends. I'm sure that they've got experiences of having children who are selective or picky eaters, bearing in mind that there are diagnoses out there. PICA, if the child is putting lots and lots of non-food things in their mouth, that is sort of support for that. And also after if they're not putting anything in their mouth at all. Pressure off meal times. Off yourself and off your child. Off yourself. Yeah, yeah. And trying to not put certain foods on a pedestal and using that for bribery. Mm. I think that's something that I probably my parents could have learnt. Love you, <laughs> parents. And also participating in the kitchen. So thanks for listening. Again, if you've got specific things you'd like us to talk on or if some follow-up questions, hit us up on our socials where we read everything and from there we will grow and provide more resources. So thank you for listening. You've got this.